So punctuation really does change everything. Just like we saw in that video, a punctuation mark in the right place or the wrong place can entirely change the meaning of a sentence. It it reminds me when I was watching that video of something that I've heard a lot in my life. It's that it's not what you said, it's how you said it. You know, because just like punctuation, the way that we inflect, the where we put emphasis in our sentence, the tone in which we speak can completely change its meaning. And that's what we're talking about with punctuation. And that's why two years ago, we came up with this idea to share with you the, the most important mark that's ever been left on history through these punctuation marks. We're not going to take time to explain what these punctuation marks are today. We're going to do that next week, but we are going to talk at, at really the heart of what we have celebrated last time with punctuate and what we're going to push into this time with punctuate. And it's this idea that the resurrection is God's exclamation point on history. It really is the resurrection of Jesus, the mark that changed the world. We said it like this, the resurrection changes everything. I mean, just, just think about that for a second. If Jesus Christ really literally physically died, And then three days later, his heart started beating, his brain started firing, he drew breath back into his lungs and stepped out of that tomb. It changes everything we know about the world. Changes everything we know about this life. It changes everything that we know about the life to come. The resurrection of Jesus, if true, changes everything, or at least it should. You know, I think the the hard truth is that for most of us, at least for many of us, sometimes it's really hard to live in in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. How different does our life look because of the resurrection? What does that look like? What's the difference in our family and our friends? What's the difference in the way we go to work or the way we go to school? What's the difference in how we handle our time or handle our finances? What impact does the reality of the resurrection really have on our lives? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to step back and say, maybe not that much. But I think there's one area that it absolutely should have a life-changing impact. The resurrection should make an impact on the way we talk about the reality of the resurrection with those who don't know Jesus. It is our job because of the reality of the resurrection to share that reality with others around us. And I want to share with you a quote that I think kind of puts an exclamation point on this. It's from magician and atheist uh, Penn Jillette. This is what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That just means try to convert others to faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would just tackle you and this eternal life is more important than that. That's from Penn Jillette, an atheist. He gets it. He, he gets the point. He gets the importance of this. And what I think is crazy is Penn probably got it faster than the apostle Peter. 
You say, what, what, what do you mean by that? I, I think that when we go back and look at the life of Peter, as short as a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter had already gone back to living his life just as if none of it had ever happened. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to look at the life of Peter, especially his life post-resurrection, and see what it looks like for someone to live differently because of the reality of the resurrection. So if you got your Bibles with you, if you're looking on your phone, or if you have another tab opened on your computer, today we're going to be in John chapter 21. John's Gospel chapter 21. If you don't have either of those, don't worry. You can easily follow along here on the screen. But in John chapter 21, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's just John's name for the Lake of Galilee. And he revealed himself as this way. So hold on, time out. Before we go too much further into this message and to, to go too much further into this scripture, I want to look at two words that are really important. Look at those words, after this. Well, after what? Maybe you're not familiar with Peter's life. Maybe you're not familiar with the life and ministry of Jesus. But what after this means, after this is the context of Peter's life and his relationship with Jesus. This is after Peter had met a man like none other he had ever seen. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He loved the children. He cared for the poor. It was after this man, Jesus, called him to abandon his nets and to run away from his life as a fisherman in order to become a fisher of men. This was after Peter had spent three years following Jesus around and seeing him give sight to the blind, helping the lame walk, even raising the dead back to life. And it was after he had seen this same man betrayed by one of his closest friends and arrested. It was after the trial of Jesus where Peter snuck in and denied three times that he even knew who that man was. It was after he had seen Jesus beaten, mocked, crucified, executed like a criminal. And it was after he had risen from the dead. After this, after all that, what happens? Look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That phrase there, I'm going fishing, that just jumps out to me. Because after Everything that Peter had experienced, the, the highs of his relationship with Jesus, where he, he, Jesus tells him, Simon Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it, to the lows of making eye contact with Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest at his trial and cursing to deny he ever knew him. After all of that, after Jesus had stepped out of the tomb alive and victorious, what does Peter do? He goes back fishing, right where he was before he ever met Jesus. And I think we can relate to that because I think a lot of us, when we first come to faith, maybe it was as a student in your student ministry, maybe it was later in your life, maybe it was as a child, when you come to faith, man, you were on fire, you were hot, you were ready to go, you couldn't get enough. And then slowly, without you really even meaning to, your life went back to what it looked like before. And that's where Peter's at. 
His life has just kind of slid back to what it looked like just a couple of weeks after the resurrection. And I think it's important to know there is absolutely no doubt that Peter was certain that Jesus was alive. And we know this because in two different places in scripture, number one, we see that Peter was one of the first men to go see the empty tomb. In John's gospel, just a few verses before this, John records that he and Peter had a foot race to the tomb of Jesus, which by the way, John lets us know he won. And when they get there, they don't see anything but an angel who says Jesus isn't here anymore. And then in Luke's gospel, we read that when Jesus appeared to his disciples a few days later, he specifically appeared to Peter. And so when Peter here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee says, hey, I'm going fishing, it wasn't because he had lost belief in who Jesus was or that he didn't believe in the reality of the resurrection. No, he had seen and talked with the resurrected son of God, and yet he still went back fishing. Why? It wasn't because he didn't love Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. He just didn't understand his mission. You keep reading in that story, and I'll just kind of summarize it for you. When they catch nothing, Jesus on the seashore, without them recognizing who it is, says, guys, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. He, they do. They catch a haul of fish. He'd already done this with them once before. And then John realizes, oh, wait, this is Jesus. And Peter, wanting to be the first one to see Jesus out of his great love for Jesus, strips his clothes off, jumps in the lake, and swims to shore so that he could be there first. Peter loved Jesus. He didn't fall back into his old way of life because he didn't believe anymore. He didn't fall back into his old way of life because he didn't like Jesus or Jesus had hurt his feelings. Peter still loved Jesus. He just didn't understand the mission. And so there on the seashore, after the boat comes in and they drag the fish up, they have breakfast. Jesus made them breakfast. And then after breakfast, he goes on a walk with Peter to help him understand that there is a mission that the resurrection brings about. We're going to pick up reading again in verse number 15. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the question there is more than these disciples, more than these fish, which one? I don't know. I don't think it matters because we need to love Jesus above all else. So it really doesn't matter what we love more than Jesus. If we love anything more than Jesus, we miss the point. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know, I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He was brokenhearted that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after this, he told him, follow me. 
So it's kind of an amazingly intimate moment here between Peter and Jesus. This Peter who had experienced highs in his relationship with Jesus and had experienced lows in his relationship with Jesus. This Peter who had denied Jesus three times is now asked by Jesus three times, do you love me? And a lot of very smart, godly people have said, that's not a coincidence. Jesus was restoring Peter by asking him that question three times. And so that's why this passage has often been called, it is on the top of my Bible in the little subheading there, the restoration of Peter. But I don't think restoration is quite the right word. Yes, there was a restoration that took place, but I think the last words that Jesus speaks to Peter may be the most important here because he shares with him the same words that he had early on when Peter left his nets the first time. Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. This isn't just the restoration of Jesus or of Peter. This is the recommissioning of Peter. When Peter is told by Jesus to feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs, what Jesus is doing him is two things. He's telling him, Peter, you're not to be a fisherman anymore. You're to be a fisher of men. Leave your nets behind. You are the one who is gonna shepherd and care for the flock that is this early, fledgling infant church. But I think more than that, there's an implication there that there would be new sheep that needed to be brought into the fold. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, John's gospel again, Jesus says, guys, there are sheep that belong to my fold that you don't even know anything about. But now that Jesus had died and and came back to life, now that they were living in the reality of the resurrection, Peter was given a mission. And I think this time he got it. This time when Jesus said, follow me, Peter never went back to his fishing nets again. I mean, maybe he went on a charter every now and then, but it was never his occupation. His time and his focus was solely devoted to the mission that Jesus had given him. And the Peter that we see in the very next book of the Bible, Acts, Acts chapter two, is no longer timid. The Peter that had denied that he even knew Jesus. The Peter that had run away and hid. The Peter that had went back to his boats. This same Peter was now bold as a lion. And he stands up in front of a crowd of thousands of people in the heart of the Jewish world in Jerusalem. And he preaches a message. And this is how he draws the message to a close. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 32. This is Peter speaking He said, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Peter was this time convinced of the resurrection, but also convinced of what that resurrection called him to do. He says, therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared, my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Jews of Jerusalem, the same ones he was running from a month before. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, 
What should we do? What a fantastic question. In reality of the resurrection, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this time it stuck. This time Peter got it. Because of the reality of the resurrection, Peter was now living a life on mission. And that's what we've been saying this whole morning. It's this, it's that the resurrection gives us a mission. The resurrection comes with a mission. And that mission is this, because of the reality of Jesus's victory over sin and death, we now live in that reality to take that news to the people who are far from God, just like Peter. We are to go out and proclaim the resurrected Christ. Why? See, here, here's the thing. I think Penn Jillette maybe got this better than Peter. Like he understood that if this reality of the resurrection is true, then it demands us to live a certain way. And it took a breakfast with Jesus and a walk after for Peter to really get that. But even though Penn gets the implications, he doesn't believe the truth. And the truth here is what matters. Guys, this is the truth. Everybody lives forever somewhere. That is a truth that needs to sink deep within our hearts. Every person in your family, every friend that you text, Every child on that t-ball team, every waitress that, that serves you this week, everybody is going to live forever somewhere. Our default destination because of the sin in our lives and our personal rebellion against God says that where we are destined to live forever is apart from God in a literal hell. But because of the resurrection... Because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and bodily victory over the grave, that is no longer the only destination. Now we have a hope of having eternal life in a right relationship with God and live with him forever in a literal heaven. Everybody lives forever somewhere. But just like the resurrection, we don't often live in this reality. It's really easy to coast back into how life was and go about our normal routines and and not let this thought run across our minds twice. But let me tell you just how important it is. The resurrection changed everything and it demands our life's change in response. The resurrection comes with a mission. Our salvation comes with a mission. Did you ever think about that? Like why after we trust Jesus as our savior and we are gonna live forever in heaven with him, why does he leave us here to suffer more years on earth, right? For the believer, this life is as bad as it's ever gonna get. When this life is over, we're getting an upgrade. For the unbeliever, this life is as good as it's ever gonna get. But for us, this is as bad as it's gonna be. So then why, if Jesus loves us and our destination, where we're gonna live forever secured, why leave us here? And listen, this is something we say at the orchard all the time. The reason that we're here is because so many aren't. 
The reason that we're left behind is so that we can continue to spread the good news of the resurrection to those who are far from God. That's why we're here. And we need to live in light of that. Plus, it would just be really weird if when somebody asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins and say amen, they just disappeared. Like the altar calls would be empty after that, right? I don't know. But no, that's not what happens. He leaves us here to live on mission. And I wanna encourage you to do just that. Live the rest of today. Live this next week. Finish the month of February by living in the reality of the resurrection and the mission that that resurrection brings. We, the church, are on mission to carry on Jesus's commands to Peter to follow him and carry the good news of his victory over death to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna challenge you to that today. We're gonna ask you to begin to, to live in that light. And it may seem hard, it may seem challenging. Maybe we just begin by praying and say, God, would you give me opportunities to do this? Would you show me the opportunities I need to take to have these conversations? And then we wanna encourage you to come back next week. Whether you, you're able to be in a campus in person or you're right back here online, we wanna challenge you to be back because next week we're gonna take time to really equip you to have these conversations, not just to tell you why we live this life on mission, but what it looks like to live this life on mission, not just why we should share the good news of the resurrection, but how we share the good news of the resurrection. So next week, come back, bring a pen, bring some paper, take notes, because we're going to do our best to equip you with a how. But maybe right now you just need to stop because it's hitting you that the reason that you're not living in light of the resurrection it's not because you're like Peter and you love Jesus, you just don't understand your mission. No, no, you're not living in light of the resurrection because you've never truly been born again. You've never truly trusted Jesus as your savior. And if that's you, we have people right now, both on Facebook and our online platform that would love to talk to you, that would love to pray with you. If you're struggling saying, you know, I'm just not sure. I think I may have been saved as a child, but I don't know. Listen, that's a conversation we want to have. So if that's you, Message us, talk with us. We wanna be here for you. But we hope you'll come next week as we explain what these punctuation marks mean and how they can help you live a life on mission. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this time today that we can look at Peter and be encouraged by his example that he wasn't perfect and he didn't get it right away. God, that makes me feel a whole lot better when I don't. But God, I pray that we would be able to learn from Peter's example. That if our life doesn't look different because of the resurrection in any other way, it should in the way that we live our life on mission, seeking to help others find faith and new life in you. So God, I pray this week has been convicting. And God, I pray ahead of time that next week will be helpful, that you would raise up an army of followers who would carry the message of the kingdom to those who are still far off. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.